It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. What's that novel from, or what is that from? Pride and Prejudice. So begins Jane Austen's classic novel, Pride and Prejudice. And for all the males out there, let me assure you that you can and should read Pride and Prejudice and still maintain your masculinity. (laughs) Good stories are organized in lots of different ways. Some we begin and we don't know the end until the end. And the beauty of the story is that there's suspense all along the way. Other stories give us the conclusion at the very beginning. And what keeps our interest is the twists and turns, the joys, the obstacles of reaching that conclusion. And that is what we have before us here in Daniel chapter 4 today. We have a conclusion at the very beginning And then we have a story as to how that conclusion was reached. Let's read together a portion of Daniel chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying... O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's 
and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree that you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you remember that in Daniel chapter one, we saw that God gives. He is the one who is sovereign over the affairs of nations and he gives conquest to some. And he also is over the affairs of individuals and he gives success to some. He is sovereign. Chapter two, we observe that God reveals God has plans and purposes and he chooses when to reveal them and to whom he will reveal them. Chapter three, we saw that God delivers. He rescues and saves his people who serve him and who worship him alone. And here in Daniel four, we find that God reigns. 
The chapter is going to touch on a number of the themes that we've heard through the first three chapters. So you're going to hear echoes, things that are familiar. There's overlap. But it seems to be that the central idea of this chapter and probably the central idea of the whole book of Daniel is that the God of heaven reigns. The setting here for this chapter is that King Nebuchadnezzar is probably at the height of his power. We'll see later in the chapter that he is walking on the palace roof and looking out over the city that he has built. We saw at the beginning, he's comfortable. And so this probably means that he's further into his reign. He's conquered all of the the empires who would oppose him. And he also has built a majestic capital city. He's at the height of his power. That means that Daniel is no longer the teenager that we met in chapter one. Now he's probably middle age and he's been in Babylon in the world's kingdom longer than he was in his own home country of Judah. As we begin, notice in these first three verses, some of the, the ideas that Nebuchadnezzar is sharing. There's, he's giving a testimony and, and this is really a unique and unexpected testimony. It's from a pagan king. And who is it to? He says, to all peoples, nations, and languages. He's proclaiming something to the entire world. Because remember, at this time, he's the emperor or the king over the whole known world. So he's saying, in effect, to every nationality, ethnicity, people group, wherever you are and whoever you are, you need to hear something. He says, I want to show you the signs and the wonders that the Most High has done. The words signs and wonders convey miraculous and awe-inspiring acts of God. And in the Old Testament, in the first part of our Bible, signs and wonders are used almost exclusively for the exodus of Israel out of Egypt. God keeps referring back to that great salvation, that great deliverance. And he talks about the 10 cataclysmic plagues that came on Egypt. And he says, those were my signs and wonders so that I could bring you out of captivity. And by the end of those 10 plagues, what happens? The world empire of the time and the emperor of the time, Pharaoh, are basically begging God's people to get out. They've been brought to their knees. So here again, a world empire and a world ruler is being shown something by the most high God. And what's interesting is that Nebuchadnezzar says these aren't just generic signs and wonders that he's heard about somewhere. No, these are signs and wonders that the most high has done for me. So the God who would seem to be inaccessible and impersonal and unreachable has actually entered the life of one man, a pagan man at that. And he's done something in him. What's the king's conclusion? Verse three, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. Here it is. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. That's what he wants all the peoples, nations, and languages in his empire to know. There's a God whose reign lasts forever. Pastor and author David Helm 
notes that this message from King Nebuchadnezzar is public and it's personal. It's public because it's for everyone. It's not just limited to a particular people group or a particular time. It's not just a Jewish message. It's not just a Western message. It's not just a white message. It's a message for everyone at every time. And it's personal. The most high God changes individual lives. He's interacted with someone and radically transformed them. Perhaps you have hesitations about the Christian faith or opposition to it. I would say before you reject the Christian message outright, you should listen and consider first. It's not just an isolationist message and it's not an exclusivist message in the sense that it's not meant only for a particular group of people. This message is meant for all people's And for each person. So how does a pagan king get to the point of confessing this truth about the God of heaven? Well, section one, verses four to 18, the most high shakes the comfortable. Did you notice Nebuchadnezzar's description of himself in verse four? I was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. He's at ease in his house. His personal life is pretty chill. He's prospering in his palace. His public and government affairs going on without a hitch. Life is good. He didn't seem to lack anything. Didn't seem to have many problems. He's good. And then all of a sudden, that comfort is shattered by a dream. Well, why would that shatter his comfort? I mean, he had a dream before, so it doesn't surprise us that a dream shows up here. In chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, but in that case, what was his reaction? He was troubled. He was confused. He was perplexed. Here, he has a dream and he's scared spitless. He doesn't know what this means, but it is awful and he needs to know. It has made him afraid and he is alarmed. So he calls all of his wise men together, all the wise men of Babylon he summons. Now, my question is, why would he do that? Chapter two, he summoned the wise men and the guys whiffed big time. They couldn't interpret his dream. And it wasn't until Daniel showed up and interpreted it that all the wise men were saved from execution. So why in the world would he summon all the wise men again? I don't know all the reasons why, but we do know that Daniel is the chief of the magicians and the wise men. Nebuchadnezzar definitely knows that he stands out. So he sends out this decree, bring all the guys in. Apparently the other guys arrived before Daniel, whether he was delayed or whether he chose to wait and let them look foolish or whether those guys rushed in as fast as they could to try to interpret the dream and get some favor back with the king. We don't know, but Daniel shows up after the king has told them the dream and they can't interpret it or won't interpret it. 
Daniel walks in and he says, here's the guy who's got the answer. You're the one who has the spirit of the holy gods. What is he doing? He recognizes something is unique about Daniel. And we've seen that before. Daniel and his friends have stood out in the world's kingdom, in the kingdom of Babylon. God has given them success. And so they stand out. Nebuchadnezzar tells him the dream. Here's a tree. And man, is it impressive. You see all the terms that are used for it in verse 11. Its height was great and it wasn't just tall, but it kept growing and becoming stronger and its top reaches to heaven and it's visible to the ends of all the earth. Talk about a huge tree. This thing is impressive. And it's also beautiful. Verse 12, its leaves are beautiful. Its fruit is abundant. It has food for all. The beasts of the field find shade under it. Birds of the heavens live in its branches. All flesh is fed from it. In summary, this tree cares for the whole earth and protects the whole earth. If you take away the tree, the whole earth is going to suffer, right? Well, what happens? A watcher appears and Nebuchadnezzar is telling Daniel, this, this watcher, this holy one, comes and and gives this message. Well, who is this watcher or holy one? It seems to be an angelic messenger, one who oversees or watches the affairs of humanity. And we get that idea in other parts of scripture where God's angels are his messengers who watch over and serve God's people. But this watcher appears and he comes down from Heaven. And heaven or heavens is used 16 times in the chapter to show a stark difference between the kingdom of eternity and the earthly kingdom. There's a stark difference between the two, as we will see going along. What does this watcher say? Here's this impressive and beautiful tree, and it seems to support life on all the earth, what needs to happen to it? Chop it down, destroy the whole thing. And do you see the terms that are used for it in verse 14? Chop down the tree, but don't just chop it down and leave it lying there. Lop off its branches, strip off, strip off its leaves and scatter the fruit. Wow. Talk about total destruction of the tree. If you've ever done any tree work, Maybe you've worked with a wood chipper. Those things are incredible and they're scary. You, you drop a big tree down and then somebody comes in and starts lopping off the branches with a chainsaw. And what do you do? You pick up those branches, you haul them over to the wood chipper. And as I was taught, you stand at the side, not right behind. Because if one of those branches catches you, it's all over. So you stand to the side and feed the branch in there And it turns those things to sawdust. Total destruction. So what's going on here? Lop off its branches, pull off the leaves, scatter the fruit. The tree is done. Why does the watcher bring this message? Verse 17. To the end that, or for for the purpose, that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it even the lowliest of men. 
And you may have noticed that 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 statement, the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will, that statement recurs several times through the chapter and it's the theme. The theme of our chapter and the theme of the entire book, the most high reigns. So Nebuchadnezzar has told Daniel the dream and now he, he says, tell me the interpretation. What does it mean? I mean, this is crazy. This tree gets lopped down. The watcher says all this stuff's gonna happen to it. What's going on? All the wise men of my kingdom aren't able to interpret it. The king is shaken. And the God of heaven is often at work to shake the comfortable. He does not do this haphazardly or casually or lightly. He always has a purpose in shaking the comfortable. And could it be that he is using a microscopic virus to shake our world out of its comfort? Could it be that he is using a pandemic to awaken rulers and countries and individuals? Could it be that he is opening our eyes to greater realities than the numbing, dulling delights that we usually pursue? Daniel knows that the interpretation of this dream could send the king into another fit of rage. We've seen this in the two chapters before. Chapter two, he flies off the handle and tells, he gives the decree that the, uh, that the wise men are supposed to be executed. Chapter three, he flies off the handle and says the three friends are supposed to be chucked in the fiery furnace. Daniel gives the interpretation here. He could get nixed. So how will he respond once again in the realm of Babylon? Verses 19 to 27, the most high warns the stubborn. Look at Daniel's reaction in verse 19. He is dismayed and alarmed. Alarmed. It's the same word that described Nebuchadnezzar at the beginning. Both of them are scared. Well, why is Daniel scared? He's not the one who's going to get chopped down. Well, is he scared for his own safety? His response to the king seems to indicate why he is alarmed. Look at what he says. He wishes that this dream was for the king's enemies and for those who hate him. It seems that Daniel actually cares about this king. The two seem to have a relationship And Daniel has compassion on him. He doesn't want this fearful fate to take this king. But Daniel makes explicit what the dream means. Nebuchadnezzar is indeed the tree. Verses 20 to 22, he says over and over again, it is you, it is you, it is you, O king. And some writers have found a connection there to the prophet Nathan's words to King David, after David had committed adultery and murder, and Nathan came before him and said, it is you, O king. A prophet is taking his life in his hands and speaking truth to the ruler of the world. It is you, O king. Well, on the one hand, that could be, that could be a great thing. I'm the tree. I'm the one who cares for the whole world. I'm the one who provides for everybody. Everyone comes to me and hides under my branches. 
but that good feeling is gone pretty fast because when the watcher shows up and says, chop down the tree, good feeling gone. Not so good anymore. And you could, you can hear Nebuchadnezzar saying, Daniel, this isn't literally going to happen, right? I mean, I'm not really going to get chopped down. But Daniel goes on to say, you shall be driven from among men. You're going to be cast out of civilization. Your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field. You're going to live in the pasture with the cows. You shall eat grass like an ox. You will be wet with the dew of heaven. Basically means he's living outside overnight. And seven periods of time pass over you. Seven periods. It could be years, but the word for year is not used here. A period is just a season or a length of time. Could be seven years. It could just be God said, this is the period of time it's going to take. Seven periods will be fulfilled until the truth gets through to you. And what is the purpose again? Daniel reiterates it. Till you know, verse 25, that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Nebuchadnezzar could think, ah, the gods, they they rule in their supernatural realm, but they don't mess with us down here on the earth. The two realms are distinct. They're separate. And Daniel says, no, it's not how it works. The most high who is in heaven also rules the kingdom of men. And he sets up whom he wills wherever he wills in the kingdom of men. But there's a beautiful word of mercy and of hope in this terrible decree. Verse 23 he says, let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the feet. Oh, sorry, the beginning of the, of, the, of the verse. Because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze. The stump is bound to preserve it. Life can still sprout from the stump. And Daniel follows up with that in verse 26 and says, as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom, O king, listen to this, shall be confirmed for you, how or when? From the time that you know that heaven rules. Nebuchadnezzar, all that is taken away from you can be restored. If you turn and acknowledge your rightful place under the rule of heaven, he, the most high, is actually the one who has power over you and you must bow before him. There's the interpretation of the dream. But Daniel didn't stop, did he? Verse 27 he takes another step, a bolder step. And he adds some advice, (laughs) some advice to the king of kings on the earth at this time. Talk about boldness. The king didn't ask for advice, but Daniel, knowing God 
and knowing his message for this king offers it anyway. He says, oh king, break off your sins. It's like the sins are some sort of binding around him, the yoke that cattle are under. You've got this yoke on you, O king. Break off your sins and do what instead? Practice righteousness. And then he says, break off your iniquities and instead do what? Show mercy to the oppressed. Do justice, O king, and show mercy to the oppressed and the exploited. Essentially, he's telling him, king, do what a king is supposed to do. Make just decisions and care for those who are oppressed. That's what a king is supposed to do. Do justice, love kindness. Those words sound familiar? 150 years before Daniel, the prophet Micah had spoken to Daniel's people in Judah. And he had said, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is what the God of heaven calls the people on earth to do, to live in humility under him, to submit to his rule in our lives. And as we do, that impacts how we interact with other people. We make just decisions and we care for those who are exploited and oppressed. We do justice and we love kindness while we are walking humbly with God. Friends, is this how we live? Is this how you live? If you say that you do submit to God and walk humbly with him, if you have submitted to his rule in your life, then would those around you see that worked out in just decisions, true, right, honest decisions? Would they see it worked out in kindness and mercy to those who are suffering and oppressed and exploited? That's what submitting to the most high God in heaven does in our lives. It has a radical effect. And that is what Daniel is calling this king to. He says, if you are truly walking in humility before the God of heaven, then, O king, you're going to make just decisions and you're going to care for the oppressed and the exploited. But there's another word of mercy and hope from Daniel at the very end of this verse. Why does Daniel offer this advice to the king? End of verse 27. That there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. He says, O king, It's possible for you to defer this decree of God. It's possible that if you turn from your sins and submit to the God of heaven, he will recall his decree. And we see this all through scripture where God makes a decree of judgment for those who are opposed to him, but he is always merciful to those who turn in repentance to him. How will the most powerful man in the world respond to such advice? The silence in the text is deafening. 
There is no response. The next thing we read is verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power and as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Verse 33, immediately, immediately the word was fulfilled against King Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. There is no response of humility, apparently, from this king. 12 months God gives him. 12 months, there's another mercy. From the time God gave him the decree to turn, he still gave him a whole year to turn and submit to the God of heaven and to change his ways. But the next thing we hear Nebuchadnezzar saying is, I, me, my. He has accomplished great things. I mean, if he was out on the roof of his palace looking out over his city, in one sense, he had reason to brag. Two examples. The ancient city of Babylon was incredible. It, it, it held one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the hanging gardens that King Nebuchadnezzar had built for one of his wives. So he had married this wife from a different empire where there were hills and green fields. She comes to the plain of Shinar, to Babylon, where he's the king, and it's this flat pancake place So what does he do to make her feel more at home? He creates essentially this mountain in his city with hanging gardens all over it so she feels more at home. Second thing, the walls around the city are massive, 40 or more feet tall and wide enough that chariots can pass each other on top of it. I mean, this city is is incredible. Herodotus, who's this ancient historian, visited the city a hundred years after Nebuchadnezzar and was still amazed by it. So the king is on top of his palace and looking out over the city, and he, in one sense, he's got reason to brag. But he should remember the Most High rules the kingdom of men and sets over it whoever he wills. But nope, he assumes responsibility and he believes it's his reputation that will last. But while the words are still in his mouth, the verdict from heaven falls. And I love this. Since it's not described that this is a voice of one of the watchers or the holy ones like we heard about earlier, it seems that this is actually the voice of God himself. And here's a stark difference again between the supreme and eternal and heavenly realm and the realm of earth. When men speak... We think we're powerful 
And we think we're strong, but when the Most High thunders from his place, all other voices are silenced. We think words carry great weight when we throw them around, but they are deleted by the word of the Most High God. Paul writes later in the book of Romans, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and everyone may be held accountable to God. When God speaks, you listen. And he says to the king, The decree is fulfilled. Your kingdom has departed from you. You're still standing on the roof of your palace, but all that you see, it's already gone. You're done. And he reiterates all the things that will happen to the king. You're going to be driven out until you know, and here it is again, this time from the voice of God himself, until you know, Nebuchadnezzar, that I, the most high, rule in the kingdom of men, and I give it, to whoever I will. And the speed at which things happen right after this shows how quickly the king descends from ruler of the world to animal in the pasture. Boom, 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 boom. And he's cast out into the fields. Imagine this event taking place. Your king goes nuts. And all of the officials surrounding him start to panic. What are we going to do? We got to get him out of here. We got to hide him. So they get him out of civilization, get him out in the field, get him where nobody can see him. Perhaps they tried to hush it up for a while, but word starts to leak out, always does. And who knows, maybe after a time, people start to show up to see the crazy man. And then maybe parents start to use him as some way to frighten kids at bedtime. And then next thing you know, the other governments in the world are starting to hear about this guy who is the most powerful man in the world. And all of a sudden he's crawling around in the grass with the goats and the cows and he's eating grass. What? And eventually it's not news anymore. And everybody kind of forgets about him. Oh, you want to see the crazy guy? He's usually hanging out down by the pond, under the tree, chewing on the grass. Probably down there if you want to see him. The tree has been chopped down. And what's interesting here is that Nebuchadnezzar is now living out the beastliness and the insanity that he actually had before this took place. What do I mean? What is our purpose as humans? To exalt, to know, and to love the God who made us. When we turn away from that purpose, we become inhuman. We become beastly. Actually, correction, we become lower than beasts because beasts fulfill their purpose that God gave to them. A bird was made to fly and it flies to the glory of God. A dog was made to run and to play 
A horse was made to run. A fish was made to swim. And they do it to the glory of God. People were made to live in relationship with the God who created them. And when we turn, we become less than human. Nebuchadnezzar is living out what was actually a reality long before. Is there any hope for this shaggy-haired, grass-eating, claw-fingered man? Last section, the king of heaven restores the repentant. Verse 34, at the end of the days, at the end of the period of time, the seven periods, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. There's the conclusion. That's the conclusion that we heard at the very beginning. Now we know how he got there. He goes on, verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, O kings, Peoples, nations, languages, all of you and all the earth. I, King Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. At the end of the periods, what does he do? In his insanity, he lifts his eyes Where? To heaven. And in that simple acknowledgement, he's confessing the God of heaven is greater than me. And what happens? His reason is returned to him. Did you notice all these verbs are passive in this section? Meaning all this action is being done to Nebuchadnezzar. He's not the one who's reasserting his power. He's not re, re, what am I trying to say? He's not coming to his throne again on his own. It's being given to him. The God of heaven is doing this restoration. And so what does he confess when he is, he is given his reason back? His dominion, the most high's dominion is an everlasting dominion. He's seeing God in his rightful place. And what does that do for the view of himself? All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. (laughs) You think? The guy who was out in the pasture for who knows how long, he knows that he is accounted as nothing compared to the God of heaven. This God does whatever he wills among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Yes, he is the ruler of heaven, but he's also the ruler over the earth. And so he does whatever he wants there and here. And none of us, no human, can resist his hand, 
can resist his purposes, can stop what he is doing, and none of us can legitimately accuse him of wrongdoing. What have you done? If we were to know all that God knows, we would say, you are right. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar says. This king of heaven, all his works are true, just, and right. King of heaven is the first time he's used this title. And so he's affirming the most high is the ruler over everything. Through all of this, we see severe mercy. God's actions toward Nebuchadnezzar are severe. Man, it's disastrous, humiliating. But why is he doing it? Because he cares for his creatures and he is willing to bend over backwards to give us time to turn to him. Pride has characterized our human race from the very beginning, hasn't it? Our first parents, Adam and Eve, believed that they knew better than God and didn't need him. They chose to go their own way. And the severity of God, the consequences that he gave to them were that they were cast out from his presence. Centuries later, there's a group of people who gather in Genesis chapter 11 and they gather in the plain of Shinar. It's the kingdom of this world beginning. They decide to build a tower, to build something that will show how great they are. Does that sound familiar? They build something that shows how great they are. It's the kingdom of Babylon at its beginning. And they want to reach up to heaven. The consequence is that God strikes their language and shatters it into pieces so they can't understand each other and they have to disband. And ever since then, People have been rejecting the God of heaven, asserting themselves against him and saying, we don't need you. And the pages of scripture and the story of history is littered with the remnants of those who have failed to succeed in doing that. Friend, do you think the result will be any different for you? Do you think you can maintain your own way, refusing to believe in this God, refusing to submit to him and to bow to him? Do you think you will win against the king of heaven? The most high God is unbeaten. He's undefeated. No one has succeeded against him. And he is determined that the living, that's you, And me, he is determined that the living will know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So he calls every person, nation and language to confess this reality that he rules over all, including over your life. He is gracious and kind to all those who bow to him, but he opposes And punishes all those who reject him. 
He uses devastating circumstances, not just to drive you away, but to call you back to where you should be. Won't you turn to him? Won't you bow to the king of heaven? And brothers and sisters, doesn't this chapter capture the message of the whole of scripture? The most high God rules over the universe and he sets up whoever he wants, even the lowliest of men. Nebuchadnezzar became the lowliest. And this God in mercy reestablished him. But there was a greater one who became the lowliest. The son of heaven became the servant of men and made himself the lowliest of all, even going to a tree. And whereas Nebuchadnezzar was the chopped down tree, Jesus Christ was the one cut down on a tree. And because he has done that, the Most High has exalted this Son of Heaven to be the King of Heaven. And he is the one who will crush the kingdom of this world under his feet, the kingdom of Babylon. And he will make all the kingdoms of this world the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever. He will crush human pride and arrogance. All enemies will be put under his feet. Every person will bow the knee and will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the message of terror and of glory that we have to tell. Our God reigns. And this is the message for all nations and peoples and languages. It's the message that, that transforms individual lives. So we must live under this reality and we must rely upon this reality and we must share and tell this reality because the king of heaven is worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe today that you are seated on the heavenly throne and you are ruling over all. And we thank you that your offer of mercy is extended to every person and to all nations. We ask that you would help us as your people to live under your rule, to submit to you and to live with justice and with mercy. Help us to be different because you are the king and help us to speak this message that you are the king so that others who do not yet bow to you may come to you. And perhaps even here today, there is someone who has not yet bowed to you. Would you show them how grand and glorious and merciful and loving you are and cause them to turn to you and to confess that you are the king of heaven. We pray in your name, amen.